Exton Moss Experiment. Adventures in Wine and Space with Simon Exton and Ken Moss. Hello everyone and a very warm welcome to another edition of the Exton Moss Experiment. I'm Ken Moss. I'm Simon Exton. And we're meeting up again after a million years of lockdown, or it feels that way. What have we got for tonight? Well, in part two of our Thank Fuck We're Out of Lockdown meetup, we're going to do an appropriate Doctor Who. And we thought that the most appropriate one to do was one of an isolated community battling a horrible disease. And that's the first two episodes of the William Hartnell story, The Ark. Strange report from the jungle. The monoids acquaintance of intruders. I mean, just where do you think you are? It's just outside London. I know where I am now. Oh, this is a spaceship. This is a spaceship. What are they? A strange disease. A fever is spreading among the monoids. We are the guardians of the human race. Like the Ark? The Ark? Yeah, no one's Ark. The sick monoid. He's dead. Before we are stricken by the fever ourselves, we must take the stranger's answer for the terrible crime they have committed. We find the prisoner guilty or not guilty. Guilty! We are now the masters. They'll leave a device behind that will destroy the Ark and everything in it. We conquered and you obey. Before going to this, it's not one that I've ever looked at very fondly, but... uh, I'd rather like the art. There's there's a lot going for it, but I do think we need a drink first. It's time to get out the tonic screwdriver. Tonight we've got one of the Batch Innovations range, and it's called Beat of a Different Drum. This is one of their monthly series... This is from 2020, I think this was one of those, wasn't it? I think so. I yeah. saw it as a special extra thing, and I love beetroot, so I couldn't resist it. Well, it's a 44% gin, and the Infobolic says, The unusual addition of beetroot during distillation gives beet of a different drum an earthy backbone that complements the sweeter botanicals, which include pear and mandarin. The result is a contemporary dry gin with a gentle earthy note and a subtle sweet finish. Well, that's one hell of a rise-up. Beetroot. I know you... Yeah, I've never had this before. I know you have. And you you sing a very sweet song about it. Let's see. I'm getting nothing out of the glass, but that is not unusual for batch. It, it, it smells a bit ginny, but that's about it. That actually works very well. <laughs> a beetroot gin who would have thought I've had beetroot wine before which my uh, my grandfather used to make all sorts of homemade wines and he made beetroot wine and it was revolting um, but most of his homemade wines were fairly revolting so this is lovely that's unusually different but in a good way and you can taste exactly what they mean about the earthy note mm. and beetroot is a very earthy flavour that's lovely I don't know what to make of that. It's not beetroot in flavour for anyone that thinks that it is. And on a side note, anybody who thinks they know what beetroot tastes like from eating eating pickled beetroot, you don't. Uh, No, definitely not. No. I both like and dislike that in equal measure. Uh, But because it's so different and well-made, I'm compelled to give it a four. I'm, uh, I'm torn between a four and a five, to be honest. 
it's absolutely lovely and it's very different, so I am going to give it a five. Batch, you keep surprising us month after month. Yeah, I was expecting something very good from a Batch beetroot gin, but this wasn't what I was expecting out of it because beetroot juice is quite sweet. Now, I must admit, I can't admit that I've never had beetroot juice. I have. Where on earth was that? What branch of Waitrose was that in? Where the poor people don't go? Tesco's, I think. No, it wasn't. It was Stewart's. I don't think it's still Stewart's anymore. It's what... When I lived in Northern Ireland, first time around before any of the ceasefires or anything, there were a number of British companies that had branches over there, but they rebranded for Northern Ireland so they didn't get firebombed. And Stewart's was one of those, which was Northern Ireland version of Tesco's. It's a lot of years ago, but I remember getting beetroot juice there, and it was very nice. And didn't taste anything like this, but this is also very nice. Well, it's time to grab our glasses and descend into the bowels of Podcasting House into the Under Gallery and open the Black Archive. And who do we have here? Uh, we've got the remnants of Spaff's bivouac. Uh, what who seems on... to have set up home here over the yes. last year or so. What on earth is this? There are a lot of VHS cases of early John Pertwee Doctor Who and a lot of crisp packets. Spaff? He may be in the Imaginarium. That's where all the sweets are. Anyway, what do you fancy picking out tonight? Well, considering that Peter Purvis is one of the regulars of this, and Peter Purvis was one of the key players in one of the classic lineups of Blue Peter, and certainly the, the lineup of Blue Peter that was there when I was growing up. Peter Purvis, uh, John Noakes, Leslie Judd. Because of that, I would like to bring back missing episodes of Blue Peter. I thought that might be where this is going. And Blue Peter actually has a really, really good survivability. Compared I, was to- say, I was quite convinced that. Billy Baxter, who was the producer... Marked them all for keeping... But the original ones that went out live... Well, from 1958 onwards, yes. I whatever it was. So Christopher Trace yeah. and um, Layla... Williams, wasn't it? Yeah, I think so. So there are missing episodes of Blue Peter, but they're, they're the very early ones. Excellent. No, it's terribly RP. Yeah, well, yes. Hello, boys and girls. Today we're going to cut something with scissors. Please get an adult to help you. If you would like to welcome our special guest... Paula Quatermouse. Hello! No, that's not, not good on that. The RPometer just doesn't... <laughs> it's not a scale high enough. Um, I, uh, in keeping with the theme of the Ark, uh, for those of you that know the monoids, I would like to rescue all the episodes off Top of the Pops that had the Beatles in. Now, I don't know exactly how many there were, but I do know that most of them are either missing in fairly ropey shape. I know that there's um, there's an off-air clip of all things has, has turned up of one of the earliest ones. I think the Ed Sullivan show, that was, another, that was an off-air clip. Yeah. And... The surviving material from the chase. The chase, the of course. Yes, when and that—that uh, that I believe is the only surviving rec- recording of that particular Beatles. Yes, uh, I can't even remember what they play on it. Ticket to, to ride, and Ian dances outrageously, dad style. Is it as good as doing the Susan? Nothing's as good as Susan, because Susan has a unique dance style in an unearthly child. 
with that in mind, let's shut the door on the Black Archive and well, I think we need to have a little word with Spaff about yeah. housekeeping, housekeeping and appropriate behaviour. Spaff, clean up your act, please. He's dangerous. Kill him! Uh, you're taking over the role of HR. So, here we are back in the viewing room. And uh, I don't think we need much of an introduction. The arc from 1965, I think. No, 66, because Dalek Master Plan was Christmas 65. The female companion in this isn't dead. Yet. Without further ado... Only if you read the terrible Target books. Um, (laughs) We're going to do this slightly differently, in that normally we would do full commentaries for episode one, episode four, and a precy in between. But because the arc and the way that it's structured splits down the middle so nicely into two separate storylines. We're only going to do episode one and episode two, do it full commentary as an individual episode. And then at some point, the randomizer will land us on the arc and we'll do episodes three and four. Splendid. So without further ado, it's Run VT, episode one of The Arc. There you go, March 1966. Serial X. Exciting. The Steel Sky. So what leads into this? Isn't it directly after the massacre? It can only be, yeah. Leslie Scott, I think, was the first female writer on Doctor Who. And for an awful lot of years, the only female writer. Um, Monoids don't look good. You see, I can't say that I'm... I've ever looked at them and thought they look terrible. The Monoid's eye, as it has been revealed by the infotext, is a ping pong ball operated by, uh, in the actor's mouth, moved about by its tongue. But on the other hand, it could be far worse. There could just be a painted on eye on a rubber suit. They don't look terrible, they just don't look good. And they're, they're certainly memorable. And actually, the set looks great. Yeah, the jungle set. Just where do you think you're going? Out, out? Don't know. You don't know what you might have found out here. We've noticed this before. He's a little less protective over Dodo than he is over some of the others. Because he was. What are you talking about? I mean, just where do you think you are? Ah, bet you thought you caught me, didn't you? Bet you thought I didn't know. Well, I do. Dodo's ever-changing accent. Yeah. Um, You recognise it. But, I mean, Stephen was... I mean, he wasn't particularly protective of Vicky because she was the more experienced time traveler. That's true. Um, and then he was very protective of Katerina because she was a bit of a horse. And I think and Sarah Kingdom was just a bit scary and confrontational for him to need to be protective. And then Dodo came along and is just a bit irritated. There are very few of the lines in Serial X that William Hartnell doesn't change or amend, retaining the sense. But round about this point, was pretty much really comfortable in the role, he's made it his own, and it's before he gets massively knackered. 
William Hartnell could do all this with a look, you know. Bill Hartnell. Bill Hartnell. They've got a load of children in this, but they don't have in later episodes. Yes. I don't remember any children in the... In three and four. Yeah. I mean, he fills out the suit, doesn't he? Mm-hmm. You know, all things considered, that photo blow backdrop that's supposed to represent a huge sort of botanical garden. And actually, the steel sky. That's the yes, of the. It doesn't do a bad job. You know that it is, but it's not terrible in the way that the TARDIS wall was terrible. And the prisoner doesn't get to say anything at all. And very clearly, was booked just because he's big and pretty. I remember in the the book, there's a scene right at the very end where that guardian is reconstituted and said, uh, has this little speech about how he travelled at the time of the, the first guardians. My learned friend wishes to thank you, sir, on behalf of the monoid. So they're punished by shrinking them down to nothing. Look, Doctor. It's an elephant. A real elephant. A real elephant. And real elephants in studio with Blue Peter presenters. Don't mix. Hello, boys and girls. This is an elephant shitting. Here's elephant antler skidding in elephant piss. See, this looks fantastic. That jungle set looks massive, doesn't it? Filmed it ailing, but... Uh... Yeah. I think this story is a, a bit like the web planet in that it is such a visual story mm. with possibly not the greatest plot. But not a bad plot. But I think if this only existed on audio, it would be quite badly thought of because it's so visual. I'm just wondering, you know, you've now got me thinking whether they've made an audio version of the arc. I'm fairly sure they have. But in terms of Doctor Who in the mid-1960s, this is fairly ambitious. Yes. See also The Wet Planet. Um... What is she wearing? Well, it's very crusade-like, isn't it? I was going to ask that earlier on. Ah, I love dressing up as it tends to be a recurring character trait for Dodo, a sign of her childlike nature. She would raid the TARDIS's vast wardrobe. And, and that's a bit like Romana would turn into when she regenerated. Yes, yeah, true. Um, Fruitling. They don't look great. I mean, they okay, they don't look terrible. Around about that era, what looks worse? Sensorites? Oh, sensorites were terrible. I'm still not convinced that the monoids are absolutely appalling. No. Men in rubber suits sort of thing. Monoid voices are not good. Uh, again, I will wait till the credits roll, but I'm See, that's sure. a really... For the, for the time, that's a really nice... Shot, a composite shot. Yeah, you've got the... Screen and the steel sky in the background, yes. He's not happy. No. Fab, short for fabulous, was common among Mexican slang. But it's not exactly a neologism, is it? No. Well, it is. No, it isn't. At the time it was. No, because a neologism would be a word that she'd made up. Oh, neologism, it's, a new, it's basically a new word. It's not a... 
Something to word that somebody makes up. Yes. Somebody's got to make it up, not necessarily her. But that, I mean, that, that's the difference between acceleration of language and neologism. And a neologism is specifically a word that that patient has made up. Well, somebody's got to have made it up. Yeah. But not necessarily her. But that's what makes it not a neologism. A neologism is a specific medical diagnosis pointing towards a psychiatric problem. It's never what I've historically known it as. It's sort of a, just basically a new word rather than specifically one that a... Mad person. Mad person's made up, yes. Or uh, a child is made up. Okay. Because learning development, children start by neologism, so they will come out with new words for things until they learn the proper word for things. My nose is running, so she's gone from Cockney to Lancashire. With a bit of posh in between. Doctor! He has quite a number of buttons undone, doesn't he? Oh, I hope. Dalek music, stock music. See, there you go. Do you travel in that black box? Not blue. I mean, the, the costumes are, are interesting. You do gloss over the fact that we're looking at an old man in his pants. I, I'm trying not to think that. Oh, it was in the Quatermass in the Pit. But at this point, that would only have been eight years early. Oh, and the Adventures, the Frighteners. And the Adventures episode, the Frighteners. It's one of the, the few surviving season one episodes. Ah, right. I know we haven't done that yet. Yet. It is a very nice set, isn't it? It's quite ambitious for the time, but they do pull it off, I've got to say. But you will all die from it. Walk like an Egyptian. <laughs> That's how you communicate with a monoid. <laughs> Bad 80s dancing. Oh, all referencing things he's done recently. They look quite gormous in the background, don't they? Mm. Wanting William Golding to write for Doctor Who in the 60s. Apparently that's what Donald Tosh wanted. No idea how to bring everything. At least two of each, I suppose. It's quite nice that it gets called the Ark because of what she mm. says rather than just some generic crap made up. See, another guided tour. They have one of those in the Savages. They do. Stephen's less of a dick this time. God, he was an ass in the Savages. So, well, he, he was a, a dick to Dodo. The, some of the set shots in this, there's one that's just come up and it, it, uh, it's been doubled up using mirrors. You cannot tell. So a very lovely set shot. The only thing I would say is that the sound design is very flat and empty, which is something I levelled against the web planet. Yeah. I think they could do more with it. And if there was ever a special edition Blu-ray release, not that I, Oh, hello. I wonder what she was employed for. Resting bitch face. 
Oh, and they're copying the haircut on the monument. Echoes of things to come. You see, the backdrop is more obvious than that. Yeah. You see, ambulance sirens don't get any less irritating. <laughs> Where's my sense of smell gone? He has a strange fever. The fever brought by the stranger. What is it? What's wrong? Stay away from him, Miriam, and from your father. Stay away. Don't touch him. We may be able to help. Yes, it's all our fault, but I should have foreseen it. Let me say this as loud as possible so they can all hear it. But it wasn't my fault. How am I supposed to know? Seize them. Seize them. Seize them. What's that monoid doing? Doing the sort of laying on of hands bit. It was decreed that Dodo should only speak BBC English, but only after the scripts have been rehearsed. These late changes mean that Dodo's voice is rather erratic to start with. I've got to say, see, it's very, it's, it's very ambitious. Is the word I would use, yeah. and it's selling for a modern audience because there's a, a, a viral infection and xenophobia. So, don't, don't come not the cut. Brexit, Brexit, Brexit. love these credits they're so simple and the way that they've been produced but you compare them to to other credits at the time and they are I mean compare them to credits from 20 years later and they look fantastic good grief 6.9 million watched this 5.5 million watched the last one that's quite a uh, jump See, it's all the old men in pants aficionados who are tuning in in their droves. Yes. Old man in pants um, grabbing any opportunity to hug young girl. Um, rather curvaceous young girl that would be appealing. These two creditive authors that were husband and wife. What part of London are you from with that accent, love? Burnley. <laughs> Don't bloody care, do they? I've got a cold and everyone's dropping dead and here's me, bloody stuck on Thark. Hey, Peter Purvis, see Lancashire somewhere. Uh, I think he's drifting towards Liverpool, I think. Because she's Manchester. She's Manchester. Cue Wikipedia. Hey, when you've got a goal, it turns you from London into Lancashire. Does that mean Paula would go, Oh, hello, Father. Ecky thumb. I've got a goal, don't I know? This is Paula Quatermass speaking. Is it something bad? <laughs> oh, I am better. Hello. <laughs> and actually, these shots um, done over video are, are really nicely done. Well, if each man has his allotted task, how come they made such a big deal 
the previous episode about a single mistake and we'll shrink him down to nothing and see him at the end of the journey if we get there. Oh, look, people wearing stupid masks. And Mr. Bronson. Is this? Yes. First? First appearance on the show, yeah. But this is that futuristic mask they've got that's just that sort of plastic visor thing that isn't even covering your nose is as dumb as the plastic visor things that we see around anyway. Well, I saw a meme the other day about wearing your mask. And it was for all the people that have worn them, over their mouth but under their nose. It's the equivalent of wearing your penis over the top of your boxer shorts. God, he really has got man flu, hasn't he? Take me with you. My time has come. <laughs> I have a cold. Away. Away with you all. And in the meantime, the ones that actually do all the work are the ones that are <laughs> dropping like flies. And they're just expected to go on. And they're the ones that are doing all the pull bearing. So there you go. Here's an infectious body. You people who are clearly more susceptible to it than anybody else, you do the carrying. We don't want any- anywhere near it. No, 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 no. Well, what do you know? Peter Purvis was born in New Longton. He now lives in Suffolk, aged 82. Valerie Singleton revealed she had a brief fling with Purvis. I think he did with two of the companions. Did he work with? I, I don't know. I think you know more about this than I do. I believe he was supposed to have had a fling with Katerina. You'd have expected her to be more animated then when she was on the screen, wouldn't you? If she'd been shag happy. If you, maybe she was naked. Well, presumably the one's Jean Marsh. She was fairly beautiful. Hey, doctor, hey, doctor they switched, switched on, on telly. telly. The Guardian, for the time being in charge of the ship, shall have absolute power to punish or restrain any life form that endangers the success of its mission by expulsion from the ship, miniaturization, or such lesser penalty as he shall deem fit. Yes, my dear. I am terribly animated and excited. Coupling. That's who she reminds me of. Kate from Coupling. Oh, I can sort of, yes, I can see where you're coming from. Yes. It does seem a little foolhardy to put the Earth's entire population into a ship and go, we'll go to this random planet. We've no idea what's there. Uh, we've no idea whether anybody's going to be happy to see us. We've no idea whether it's even habitable. But that rock up there, we fancy it. It's ours. Inter- intergalactic pissing contest. Refuses, you are my bitch. See, Peter Purvis is acting his little socks off and he's up against a plank. Yes. Who is probably also acting his little socks off, but not terribly well. Oh, same design as the awakening. I mean, that woman at the front had time to, uh, time enough to um, go and back comb her hair. Mm-hmm. So. Those poor kids look bored shitless. Yes. So why is there just one random person a million miles away from Stephen wearing a face mask and nobody else? 
unless they're all Karens in Tesco. I was going to say, it's, it's, uh, they've all got lanyards. Twitter follower, followers of Lawrence Fox. I couldn't possibly comment. I don't. Uh, I, uh, Lawrence Fox is beyond my ken. Oh, um, he's a twat. That's about all you need to know. <laughs> and it might well be that they are the only ones who can cure it. Our microbiologists may still find an answer, perhaps. But if we were so they have virologists, but they don't know about cold viruses. Why can't I with my man flu? Help me. My nose is running. I must... Oh, I, I must die. I am, I am, I am undone. A <laughs> yeah, never mind about the fuck tons of monoids that have died, but one of us. <gasps> That's the end of the world. He rewrites on the fly. No, he just forgot his lines. Yes. Trying to bless him with some sort of competence that he doesn't actually have. You know those stringy door thing, door coverings. The the, the guardian's costumes. Yes. The guardian's costumes. One of my sort of cousins used to have that. Would this be the snail's cousin? No, this is a different sort of cousin I didn't like. I don't have any actual cousins, but I have sort of cousins. There's the occasional one I actually quite like. It's a, the, the costumes are a little bit Eloy. You know. Yes, yes, I will give you that. It's pants and a collar and some strips of fabric. Oh, and a belt. And in the women's case, it's uh, slightly more see-through than the men's. Well, some of the male costumes are really quite see-through and leave very little to the imagination. Uh, Such as old bloke in charge. There was nothing left to the imagination there. Blonde woman's ass is clearly visible. Although she's now got a face mask on. That is one of her ass. No, it's one of... No. Minion, do as you're told. I'm going to go over here in a strop because I've been refused to do what I want to do. You see, their costumes don't leave an awful lot to the imagination. On the subject of which... How come the women have flesh-coloured pants whilst the men have black pants? And why is she the only one wearing a face mask in there? Not sure. Oh, no, he's wearing wearing one around his neck. Oh, so she. So so the whole technically wearing a face mask, but actually it making no fucking difference whatsoever. Wearing a face mask over your chin and throat. Yeah, and just makes you look like an arse. Not a new thing. And apparently, again, only wearing one of your fancies. Not a new thing. Thank you. Have you read the novelisation of it? Uh, I, years ago, but I don't remember anything of it. It's very good. It really improves on the... No. It, it really expands on the story. So I'm going to go and poison a massive number of people. See? Black pants, flesh-coloured pants. They are riding up quite a bit. They, they are riding up something fierce up her ass. Very nice ass. I'm going to stand here dramatically looking into the distance. Behold! Behold my curtains. 
Oh, largely. <laughs> Maybe not. That's that's very quite a nice experiment. What's the temperature of the rocket? It's all right. Stephen's much better. Everything's going to be all right. Oh, well, Stephen's okay. What about the fucking rest of us? That's quite nice. There's some really lovely shots in this. And at least people are actually taking notice of it rather than when it happens in um, the end of the world. Oh, when they're all, yes. Looking the other way when the entire planet's destroyed. Well, we must be up. Goodbye, sir. For the fact that I mistrust you. Yes, we we landed, we infected several of you, we killed even more, and then we cured you. Goodbye, young man. Goodbye. You see, this general set looks really good. It, the whole, every set in this. But that's what I was saying. This is such a visual story. Mm. I just wonder whether something like The Savages, with almost no visuals existing would be absolutely superb if it were recovered. I mean, I think I think The Savages is a great story anyway, but I, I really like this story. The nice thing about this is that it actually makes use of the fact that the TARDIS is a time machine. And other than getting them into whatever situation they're in, yes. Doctor Who stories rarely use... Time. time travel as a plot device, or, or yeah. a certainly, this is the only one I can think of, really. And hey, I mean, you know, that's a model shot, and that there's a, a painted backdrop, and but it looks fantastic, doesn't it? Everything about that story. Gotta say, loved it. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the other reason that I suggested this as a post-lockdown, uh, yeah, post-lockdown story, other than the fact that it's about a isolated population and about a um, a virus plague, was that it was one of the first stories that I watched when I came out of hospital after having had COVID. Oh, sentimental. Was that by accident or design? I, I kind of was a bit... Out of it? Uh, I was going to say wussy and not really... <laughs> I wouldn't get out of my chair very often, so I would just pick things at random and say to Alan, please put this on um, and you'll have peace for the next few hours. Um, well, as a post-lockdown return to uh, Doctor Who, not a bad choice, particularly with the face mask being worn incorrectly, if nothing else. Yeah. But I, I, I I've always that enjoyed a lot the arc. I do think of it as two separate stories. But it is two separate stories. The second two episodes are completely different. They are. Yeah. It's a bit like the two Peladon stories are yes. the thing that I yeah. I, that is kind of like this because there's there's a chunk of time happened in between. Now with with Peladon there is sort of surviving memory of what had happened in the previous stories. Whereas with this, there's a whole big thing about it. These are legends of our past. 
and there, there's one group of people that believe them and believe that the uh, the doctor existed, and another group of people who are put across as the the scientific rationalists who think that it was all superstition. I mean, the only other one that I can think of really is the Ark in Space and Revenge of the Cybermen, but they're more really locations rather than time stories. Even though they are set in different times, it's it's um, just but in the same location. Well. Yeah, I mean, this kind of is, but this has... A definite knock-on effect. And a similar look. Yeah. And a look in terms of costuming and direction, because you get a lot of aerial shots with this, which worked really well. Every, the shots in this, particularly the wide shots, you just do not expect in Hartnell era Doctor Who. And the, the sets look beautiful. Yeah. Particularly the effect of... Um, Film feed into monitors. Yes, that's another one. That that worked really, really well. Technically speaking, for 1966 science fiction, this is not bad stuff if you gloss over a few things. If they polish this up for a Blu-ray release, particularly if it was in colour, I think this will do particularly well in colour. This could be something quite impressive, actually. Yeah. Again, with the sound design improved as well. The problem is, you, if you do it in colour, I mean, the thing that would really stand out for that is the, the jungle sets. Uh, there is that, yes. And the, the backdrops, though, they could be completely CG to, to look uh, better. Yeah, yeah, I'll give you that. I mean, I, I think they look good as they are, but they look good because we're looking at 50-year-old television, 55-year-old television. 55 years old? But on that note, boys and girls, we shall sign off. Inevitably, this is the first part of our look at the arc. Neither of us are sure when the second part will be. It's whenever the randomizer spews it up. So it could be in a couple of months' time. It could be in 10 years. But uh, one way or another, we will be looking at episodes three and four of the arc in the future. We hope you've enjoyed episodes one and two, though. Uh, We should be back next time with something completely different. I have to say I've enjoyed episodes one and two so we shall see you soon bye now The Exton Moss Experiment featured Simon Exton and Ken Moss title music was performed by the BBC Symphony Orchestra all featured television soundtracks are the property of their respective producers and no infringement of copyright is intended the programme was recorded in Rishton, Lancashire and produced by Maverick Productions For more information, please visit maverickproductionsuk.blogspot.com or find us on social media.